Hello, everyone. Welcome to yet another episode of Bavarian Podcast Works. Tom Adams here for the flagship episode. And once again, I have the pleasure of being joined by the infamous I Need No Name. So, uh, In, how are you doing on this fine Sunday? Yeah, I'm doing fine. We just had a slight delay starting this podcast, which was a little bit annoying, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Tom knows what I'm talking about. Yes. So in addition to the massive time difference between uh, our geographic locations in my computer decided it would be a great time to just install a bunch of updates. As I was mentioning to you off air, it does this like once every other month. And it seems to happen at crucial moments for either Bavarian football works when I'm live tweeting uh, or as we've uh, just seen today for Bavarian podcast works. And we're about to record uh, a flagship episode. So very annoying. All of that coming on the back end of watching Ronaldo score for Manchester United again. The fanboys really coming out in force on social media and David De Gea saving a penalty right at the end. But we're not here to talk about that. We don't really care about Manchester United. I know in just like myself, you will take every opportunity to banter Manchester United. Am I right in that assumption? Oh, I will take any opportunity to banter any English Premier League club. And that includes (laughs) Liverpool. Don't forget. (laughs) <laughs> as I definitely know. But unfortunately, we they came away with a very solid 3-0 win, so you can't have anything to say there. Oh, I'm, I'm prepared, okay? Don't worry. <laughs> you better not slip up, Tom. I, I better not. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep the task. And this is, this is a Bayern podcast, so we're going to stick to Bayern. And, and with that in, I mean, basically kicking off a non-existent Oktoberfest in fashion with an absolute 7-0 thrashing of AFL Balkum. And you know what? We had a, a certain player on the left wing who performed very well yet again. And so I thought with today's episode, we would kind of just address the elephant in the room, which is Leroy Sané. I know we've already talked in detail about Julian Nagelsmann's decision to switch Leroy Sané to mm-hmm. the left wing from the right. And he's just been so much better. You know, looking back, it, I think it was that Bremer S. Val match in the first round of Pokal where he actually made that switch. Uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong on that. Yeah, it was that then, one. Yeah, so he scored, just taking a look, three goals and something like six assists since that switch has been made. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's basically had a goal or assist every single game since that switch. So, and I just want to shoot this question to you. I mean, yes, we have had some favorable opponents more so in the Bundesliga since that switch has been made, but is this... More so just a little bit of, you know, temporary fire uh, matched with the fact that we did have a, a more favorable schedule, at least in the Bundesliga. Or is this, has Nagelsmann found like the permanent fix for Leroy Sané? Well, I would say that Sané looks really good right now. You People will say that we haven't faced the really big teams yet, but we faced RB Leipzig and Barcelona and they are still nominally considered big teams, even if they haven't had the great seasons that they expected to. But Sané, yeah, especially Leipzig. Then again, Barcelona are probably doing just as poorly. Um, In any case, yeah. So in any case, I would say that Sané, the big difference from what he was doing before is that he's doing all the fundamental things right. That is something that even against the smaller teams last year, he was getting a lot of things wrong. Like he was making missed passes, wrong decisions, wrong everything really. He couldn't really keep up with the tempo of the game. And it's not like he was slow or he wasn't working hard or he was lazy or something. It was just that 
he was out of sync with every everything that was going on. And one of the good things about what he's doing under Nagelsmann, and I think what Nagelsmann has done with every single white player this year, barring um, the right back position, is that he has made them all come together and actually work as a cohesive unit that Hansi never managed to do. Hansi was kind of relying on their individual quality and individual decision-making. And Nagelsmann seems to have simplified the you know playbook for them a little bit. Yeah, 100%. And just something I would add to that, in is just looking at the schedule moving forward for Bayern Munich. You know, all the writing on the wall is really there for Leroy Sané to continue this this excellent run of form, barring any injuries, which we know uh, pop up like every second at Bayern Munich. So just kind of going in order for the next couple of weeks, Greuther Firth, obviously this coming Friday, Dinamo Kiev next midweek. Uh, after that, in the Champions League, Eintracht Frankfurt, who are struggling this season, Bayer Leverkusen probably will be of those matches the most difficult test. Benfica after that in the Champions League, Hoffenheim, uh, and then Gladbach, which we unfortunately oh, man. had to draw in the that is that is the that is a tough one that's coming up. That is the one that Nagelsmann needs to be really preparing for. But at the moment, yeah. I think it's kind of like a chill, um, you know, a little bit of a chill break in the matches because we have a week until we uh, face our next game and I don't want to pronounce the team's name because I really am bad at that but <laughs> uh, yeah I'm I'm serious it is tough I, I probably just butchered it yeah the only it's, reason it's in my mind is because I'm I was hearing uh Derek Ray commentate and say you know this is who Bayern has next they have yeah, we don't time. we I don't just... get Derek Ray on the world feed anymore like oh, I don't so think he, he, he doesn't do we get Phil Bonnie though and he's great but yeah, yeah, so the thing is that uh, Sané and I would say this for all our wing players that they're really doing so well. Uh, Gnabry too, he has been on fire both for Nagelsmann and for Hansi Flick. And that's one of the good yeah. things. For, I think this actually makes, I think this is, it's interesting to think about, but this means that Coman and his salary demands have suddenly been blown out of the water. Like I think Zahami is no longer a leg to stand on with Sane, Gnabry, and Muziala just playing so well. Coleman does not have the leverage he had last year. And now, in you bring up a good point because you mentioned our other wingers. Obviously, we have Coleman in the rank surge, Gnabry, who's on a fine run of form. You know, Thomas Muller, I know we all like him. Just no, don't, don't say it. Don't say it. He can. Don't say it. You're a big fan of his. He can do it if he needs to. He can do it, but don't say that, man. Come on. Case in point. The, the question I'm trying to pose to you, so obviously, I think it was FC Kuhn where Leroy Sané had started on the right, Gnabry on the left, they switched, and then they both started playing better. Well, I think actually that was the match where uh, Sané got pulled for Musiala. Uh, yeah, I, I think that was, the, that was in the that one, yeah. So, in is this, and I, I, I don't believe I've asked this before, the, question, the thought's always in my mind, is this more of Leroy Sané being perfect and being very effective on the left or are we overlooking slightly the ability, I would argue, Gnabry, Musiala, Muller, those three guys, any one of those three positions behind Lewandowski, those guys can adapt and play. It doesn't really matter uh, where they are. We've even seen Gnabry as a false nine or a secondary striker for Dimanshaft. So do you think that's a little bit overlooked, the adaptability of the other wingers that we have? Yeah, I Oman, think I would is, say is the odd yeah. man now. We don't really have, we haven't seen much of him. Yeah, we haven't seen anything from him this year. So, but I think that it's interesting because Nagelsmann, uh, he's really focusing on making our wing players do more 
more flexibility, more involvement in the attack. And I think that's a good idea. That's something that we haven't seen much since you Pink is MAB. And you can tell that he's at least studied what went wrong in the PSG match last year when Lewandowski was out injured. And Muller did his job just fine. Chupo did his job. But the wingers left us, let us down. Like, we just couldn't do it on the flanks. And I think Nagelsmann has identified that as one of our weaknesses. And he's going to do everything he can to fix that. And that means that increasing the interplay, increasing the roles that they can play. Because Robin and Ribery, they were just geniuses. They could do it all. And they could do it so easily that they knew what to do. These guys, they're not as good, not as talented, but they can be as good if they're coached right. And Robin Ribery had amazing coaches to bring out what was good in them. And Nagelsmann is trying to do that for our players now. The wingers, I think... I think at this point, we can almost consider Alfonso Davies a winger too. And he's been so amazing compared to last year. Yeah, and with him, you know, you, you'll you definitely get some people on one side of that argument saying, you know, if he is a left winger or an advanced winger or he starts from that position, you know, if need be because of injuries or rotations or suspensions or rest, whatever it might be, you know, we might just be better off just saying, he's saying, Fonzie, you know what? You're starting as a left back, but you're a winger. And he might even do better, you know, with those recovery Isn't that technically what we're doing already? I mean, pretty much, but you still have, you know, Sané in front of him and they can work that magic, you know, yeah, that overlapping magic like we used to see with uh, Ribéry and David Alaba. When yeah, David it's Alaba actually fascinating because Ribéry, what he used to do was he was an inverted winger, right? So he would go at the players. He would cut inside and go at dribblers. But Sané, he's more of a traditional winger on the left. So he's constantly trying to assist. Like the assist that he got to Kimmich, that's a traditional winger assist from uh, against Baham. That's a traditional winger's assist. So that's the kind of thing Sané is doing. And that's what Davies does too. So it's more like having two traditional wingers down the left. And that's something that I honestly considered, you know, having traditional wingers a little bit out of date but it seems to be really working out for Bayern this year. Like with Zani and Davies putting in crosses and if you want to switch to having inverted, we can just put Musiala there instead of Sané and suddenly you have a completely different tactical setup. So it's giving us both flexibility and lethality. And that's an interesting way for Nagelsmann to expand our play style without changing much at all. And I should add, you know, I need to correct myself. I forgot to add Marcel Sabitzer to that mix. You know, we do know that he can play an attacking role as well as a holding role. Uh, and we haven't really yet seen him in a wide attacking role. You know, yesterday's win over VFL Bolcom. I mean, can you really count that as a sample size? Because I, honestly, I just felt bad for Bolcom after it was, uh, yeah, actually when, it was four, when it was 4 nil, and their fans that were in the stands were olaying every pass. <laughs> I just <laughs> thought that. Was a, I was like, you know what? At least they're enjoying themselves, whether they traveled. Hey, or hey, hey at least they did better than Barcelona. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, why not? In a way, day, always go out and enjoy it. But, yeah. you know, in, you know, we talk, we just spent uh, a decent amount of time talking about our attack and, you know, our wingers and, you know, our basically uh, third left wing and Alfonso Davies, even though he is left back. But, you know, a lot of the stability in this side, as Hansi Flick has said in the past for both Bayern and for Germany, and as Nagelsmann has made a point of, a lot of this stability comes from that dual midfield pivot of uh, Joshua Kimmich and Leon Goretzka, both of whom who have signed new contracts, the most recent of which in was uh, technically last week since it is now Sunday, uh, but it was announced that he signed a new deal that will keep him at the club until 2026. And 
you know, this follows suit from Kimmich, who I believe signed a deal until 2025, just one year shorter. But hopefully in the future, we'll get another extension for him. But, you know, in how important to you and to this club was this extension? I know a lot of us thought that both Kimmich and Goretzka would have been announced at the same time, but there was just a lot of fine tuning details that had to be sorted with, uh, you know, the financial perspectives uh, in addition to the personal terms. To be yeah, I can on. I can safely say that Kimmich and Goretzka extending these two is not just important for Bayern Munich of now, but Bayern Munich of 5, 10, 15 years from now. Because not only are Kimmich and Goretzka the guys on the team right now, they you can tell that Kimmich is going to be future captain. But not only that, Kimmich and Goretzka are at the forefront of certain issues in Germany. They are always, yeah. um, you know, they're always doing social initiatives, stuff like that. You can tell that they're going to be involved in those things going forward. It's good for Bayern's image too, securing them. But the other thing is that they're leaders on the national sides as well, because Kimmich is the leader of the future generations. He's their spokesperson and he is part of the leadership group there. So if anything goes on with the national team going forward, Bayern's relationships there remain strong just because Kimmich is there. We keep our stranglehold on the German national team. And because of that, we keep getting this pipeline to talent like, you know, Jamal Muziala, who probably would not have committed unless Kimmich and Goretzka constantly kept that charm offensive up on him. Same thing goes for Sané, in fact. Sané was charmed by his German national team teammates to coming into Bayern. And that's one of those things that I think is very underrated by the fan base, the effect that these teammates can have on the overall composition and on our transfer market dealings because players, the dressing room connection is very important. And I mean, we've already talked about how important these guys are on the pitch. That's not going to change, but these soft connections, the soft connections that form between players, the power plays that happen, the seniority that becomes important. These things will matter more and more as the older guard, the guys like Thomas Muller, Hamels, Boateng, Kroos is already gone. So all these guys, they slowly get phased out. And once they do get phased out, it's guaranteeing Bayern's future on that very important German national team, which has historically been one of the best in the world at producing talent. Yeah, and even Ilkay Gundogan, you know, you were mentioning those players. He was one guy who was considering his future uh, with Die Mannschaft after the Euros, but Hansi Flick had very positive discussions with him and was able to keep him on board and, you know, make him decide to continue on. And, you know, just as you were talking about all of those uh, very, very positive impacts for both Bayern and Germany with these uh, extensions, Goretzka being the most recent, I was also going to pose the question to you, you know, how much of a positive message does this send to the rest of Bayern's squad, both older players and younger? Because let's face it, too, I mean, they were coming into a very, very difficult financial situation. I get what you mean, that it's like, it's a very good job by Brazo and co to get these deals over the line. And it projects a display of power to everyone across Europe and also within the team that Bayern Munich are going to be, you know, competitive for the foreseeable future. And if you are a young player who is looking to decide where you're going to be playing your next five, 10 years of football, Bayern Munich is one of the best you can choose at the moment. Like, Say you're Muziala, okay? Muziala, he is already tied down. But say he was looking for a new contract. Why would you choose? You have so many offers probably from England or somewhere else. You could go anywhere you want with the talent that he has. But instead, why wouldn't he just stay at Bayern? Because we are competitive in the Bundesliga. We can win the Champions League every year. 
we have one of the best squads to learn from and we have his all his national team teammates so he has a direct pipeline to the national team so that's one of the things that i think it shows and it also shows someone like Lewandowski who wants to make a name for himself globally that sticking with Bayern is probably his best bet instead of going to somewhere like Chelsea where he might have to compete with Lukaku or be discarded after one poor performance. Instead of doing that, you can just stay at Bayern where your place is secure, you have a brand already built for you, and you can be safe knowing that we're not going to get complacent and there are not going to be any rebuilding years. We have a core, a steady core that is being phased out and another core coming in that is just as good as the core that left. It was originally when I started playing, sorry, when I started watching Bayern, <laughs> I almost, almost maybe you a, did play for the youth teams in in a in a very distant past. You know, we don't know. I've <laughs> never played football that way, and the most football I played <laughs> is with my friends in their backyards. Hey, it counts. It counts. It counts. I suppose it counts. Uh, so the thing is that um, if, if we had Philip Lam, Bastian Schweinsteiger, those guys were the core back then when I started watching, and then it slowly shifted to the uh, Lewandowski. Muller, Boateng, Alaba core. And then that has now shifted to where Lewandowski and Muller are like the senior players. They're not the core anymore. And now it's Goretzka, Kimmich, Sane, Gnabry are core. And that's such a great transition. This is like a masterclass in how you transition from football team to football team, from generation to generation. Yeah, and you mentioned Chelsea. So that brings up a good point in my head who are you know, obviously they're owned by a certain Russian oligarch. You have your mm-hmm. Manchester cities, uh, your PSGs of the world were pretty much owned, you know, for lack of a better term, by either the Emirati or Qatari governments. And, you know, you see these massive transfer fees. It doesn't really seem to matter what happens from a financial landscape, whether it's a global pandemic, uh, huge financial losses for whatever reason, they seem to be able, be able to toss cash around in whatever manner they see fit to get whatever players they want to fix problems, fill holes. But, you know, that just doesn't seem to be the case at Bayern. You know, we're very conservative from a fiscal standpoint. Uh, we don't like to spend ridiculous amounts of money that we don't need to spend. Uh, we like to keep at least a relative sense of even distribution for our top earners. I know there are some variables to that. You know, Sané, Lewandowski earn quite a bit. I think Thomas Muller. Uh, is earns a bit well less. He earns a bit less than Sonny, I think. But how much, how important yeah. is this to you? So, you know, I think it, it's overlooked that both Kimmich and Goretzka, had it not been for COVID, you know, in the club trying to be very responsible from a fiscal standpoint, these new deals probably would have included much larger salary increases. But I think they both had said, and I think it was Hassan Salihamidzic who had said as well, that it was more important to them to keep those like you've been talk, talking about those core of players together instead of, you know, getting what they thought they truly deserve. I mean, how important of a message is that? Well, I think that signing for Bayern, you're not just signing for the fee. You're signing on to a generation that wins things and not only at the domestic front, but the international front. And not only that, you are signing on to an institution that can help you win things for your country as well. Because if you remember the 2014 Germany team, that was basically Bayern Munich. And Kimmich, by being the leader of this current Bayern Munich team, he secures himself as the leader of Germany for years to come. And if this is a man who wants to win a World Cup, wants to win a Euros, and if he wants to do that, he wants to be in Bayern Munich, building a team, being part of the say of the most influential team in Germany for 
these things because Bayern, Germany is Bayern. We Germany's resurgence is because Bayern scouted all this talent. Gnabry was languishing at Arsenal before we managed to get Werder Bremen to buy him. Sane was uh, not even in the squad when Lowe called him up. And then after he comes to Bayern, he's suddenly a key player. Um, same thing goes for Kimmich. Kimmich was come, came in from the second Bundesliga from RB Leipzig. He was at he was at RB Leipzig, but we bought him from Stuttgart. That's the thing that Bayern discovers the players that Germany uses, and Bayern is a litmus test. If he can perform for Bayern, then you're ready for Germany. Florian Wirtz, he is about as talented as Musiala, not as talented in my opinion, my biased opinion, but he's not getting a look into the Germany team right now. Whereas Musiala is already in the rotation, and what's the difference? One plays for Bayern. Yeah, I believe it was uh, Uli Honus who had said FC Deutschland for his, you know, yeah. dream and his vision for, for Bayern Munich uh, with the, uh, you know, so much continuity between Bayern players and Die Mannschaft players. Uh, but in, so we've got a few other, I mean, just to kind of wrap up this thought. So Kimmich, Goretzka, we also have two other players that were born in 95 and Serge Gnabry and Nicolas Sula who have upcoming co- uh, contract expiration dates. Sula's next year. Uh, Gnabry's the year after. Do you think both of those players should and will get contract extensions? They have to. They they just have to be kept. Sula, Gnabry, and also extend Lewandowski, extend Muller, and extend... Who else do we have to extend? Extend Lewandowski, Muller, Neuer, I think. Neuer's contract, because Nubel is doing really poorly in yeah, France Monaco, at the moment. Yeah, uh, yeah. We, we, can, we can talk about that later. We don't have to talk about that. <laughs> One of the things I really <laughs> wanted to talk about after this, right after this is probably the new FFP stuff. And that might interest you too, because it affects Liverpool too. Do you want to talk about yes, that now? Does. Or do you, do you have anything uh, else we, to say? If we had time, I was just kind of working my way. We talked about the attackers. We talked about the midfield. I uh, thought we could also touch base on the defense really quick, just because yeah, that's we've got some fully because, fit defenders yeah. back in Luca Hernandez, Benjamin Pavard, who have come back to the fray. We had Stanisic stand in very well at the beginning of the season. Nicolas Sula and Dio Upamecano proved to be a very, very solid partnership. Uh, I think everyone would agree. We did give up goals uh, in the Bundesliga, but, you know, in, we've kept a lot of clean sheets since uh, a certain two defenders have come back into the fray, Luca Hernandez and Benjamin Pavard. So Nagelsmann's got a lot of luxury and flexibility and a lot of decisions to make, but, you know... At the is moment, it still perfect, or is there is there still work that needs to be pretty done? Much, it's pretty much as good as you can expect it to be. But that being said, it could be better. But that's more down to how we keep possession and how we factor in the midfield. Defensing, defense itself, I don't think it could be better than what it is right now. Nicolas Sula, Diego Bucano, and Luca Hernandez, at this point, you could basically just shift them around. Any two of them starting will get you a clean sheet. Nagelsmann can start any two without worrying. Last year, there was so much so much confusion. Sometimes it would be Alaba and Boateng. Sometimes it would be Sul on the left or Sul as right back. Sometimes it would be this, that. It was weird and it didn't really work that well under Hansi. We never got the you know momentum going with our defense. But this year, it looks like Nagelsmann has effortlessly figured out how to get everyone on the same page. And along with Alfonso Davies, just having an amazing season, both offensively and defensively, our defense looks strong. That being said, we haven't been tested. Barcelona didn't didn't attack at all. RB Leipzig attacked, but you know they're not having a great season. Dortmund, we shut down Haaland, but we face them again, and they might have a different plan for us. And that's pretty much all I have to say on the defense. It's hard to evaluate, basically. 
it is because you see a lot of different things to me. The stability build up possession seems to be a little bit more effective when it's Nicolas Sula and Dio Upamakano. But, you know, there's a, a crazy stat. Uh, I don't know how many matches it is, but when Luca Hernandez starts in the Bundesliga, we just we don't lose and we don't concede. Yeah, I believe it's but, our, we do concede, but we don't lose. I think 30 matches yeah. now. Yes, that's yeah, which is an insane. It's stat, insane, yeah. especially for the amount that he's been injured. Right. You know, we can't forget that. Yeah, he that's, that's the unfortunate thing, actually. From Atletico Madrid. So it's it's one of those things where, you know, in my eyes, I do think, like I said, that possession, that build-up player is a little bit better with the aforementioned Zula and Upamakano. But, you know, you can't deny with that statistic from yeah. Luca Hernandez. So in starting back line, it's Derek Lasker. It's UEFA Champions League semifinal leg two. What's your, your go-to back for on what you've seen thus far? Uh, Stanisic, Sul, Lucas... Fonzi. Oh, okay. So you're leaving Upamakano out of there. And Benji. I'm tired of Benji. I'll be honest with you. I'm <laughs> done with him. He's dead to me. Yeah. <laughs> he definitely seems to be he annoyed, a he annoyed, he annoyed me. He annoyed me a lot during the Euros. Well, hopefully he can turn his fortunes around. Or, you know, if he doesn't, I'm completely fine with Stanisic deputizing as well. Because I'm, I'm ready for Stanisic to start. He actually attacks. Yeah. Can't deny. I mean... Maybe Nagelsmann will see the same things that we're seeing and we'll see a lot more of that. And Pavard will, you know, kind of get the message to say that his form really needs to drastically improve if he wants to get that starting spot. Yeah, I mean, Pavard, he's okay at defending, but you look at the Barcelona, one of the, one of the eye-opening things was the Barcelona pass map, sorry, the heat map from their game. And you could see that Davis's side was basically untouched while Pavard's side they had a lot more encroachment on that side. And it's not like Memphis was playing on that side. It was Luke de Jong, who was garbage. And even despite <laughs> that, yeah, I know. Poor Samran, right? <laughs> yeah, oh. so anyway. So that's one of the things that being a passive defender like Pavard, it invites pressure on a defense. And that's not something you want to see. I want Stanisic to get more of more chances, hopefully. And I hope to see him displace Pavard from the lineup. If he can't, and we need to look for a new right back. That's our biggest weakness. Yeah, and with the just listening to that with a more attacking-minded, you know, defender that's not as passive and that's going to get forward, that's only going to benefit Gnabry, Musiala, or whoever is playing just ahead of him. Yeah, on the exactly. Flank, as we've as we've seen, um, you know, so a lot of questions for Nagelsmann in defense. You know, it's it's looked to have been improved, but we do have fortunate opponents, favorable opponents, so. Uh, Let's no see if he, we shouldn't be getting. We should see teams. if he can keep a clean sheet against Gladbach. That's going to be the test. Yeah, and that that does come up at a difficult time, the end of October, and you know it, it might be one of those situations where you, we might have to make rotations. But you know, God forbid, Bayern gets knocked out of the DFB Pokal in the second round again in the second consecutive season. I, yeah, was it the second round? I think it was. A yeah, it was. It was the second round last year. That was the one game wow. last year. That was the one game last year that I missed. I'm like, okay, it's a second tier team. We we won't lose. I I need to sleep. I have an exam tomorrow, and I wake up and I'm like, oh god. Well, I hope you don't have an exam for for that match. I hope it's I hope to so too moment. as well. If you have to sleep instead of watching, yeah, I don't miss buying matches. I've missed like three in the last five years. Even though I think it should be said for all the you know all those who aren't based in India, like would it like Champions League and Pokal matches? That's like almost one in the yeah. It's it's it starts at like it starts at like twelve twelve thirty. And if it's after daylight savings, you you Americans and you Europeans with your daylight savings, it's German yeah. invention, actually. Uh, if it starts yeah, after but, that... But we do it at a different time than everybody else, which always is confusing. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's why I'm 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 confused more than you are. Okay, so because we don't have any of that. So here yeah. it's suddenly it's suddenly it's starting at one thirty, and I'm like, excuse me, but but there is also like a social stigma to not st- staying up late if you to watch a match. So yeah, yeah, and especially if it's a match like that, rainy, torn up pitch, Holstein keel, and you lose in penalties. As oh Bayern man, played. that was that was just painful. That was, I I woke up and I'm like, oh god, what just happened? And I saw the highlights and I'm like, oh, Bunasar happened. <laughs> that's all. That's pretty much all you need to say when anything yeah. does, uh, you know, happen that poorly from a Bayern perspective. Mm. And so, in you know, just to wrap this up, I know you did have a lot of, you know, I have a little bit of commentary on something insight on the financial fair play, which you actually did have to kind of, you know, enlighten me on because it's something that had kind of passed me by. So, if you could just briefly summarize what's gone on from a financial fair play aspect and the new rules that they've implemented and how it could impact clubs both in uh, the UK uh, and in Germany. So basically the new UEFA financial fair play, um, you know, regulations are going to be terrible for any club that isn't backed by a huge investor. And it, you should listen to this too, Tom, because it's going to affect Liverpool as well. It's yeah. even, even though you guys are owned by FSG, it's going to affect you. So basically what's going on here is that, They've removed a lot of restrictions and that's going to be, first of all, they have removed the restriction that clubs can only have a certain amount of money invested into them by the owner. That now, is used this to be, as a result yeah. of, of COVID or is this? No, this was actually just they... a plan. This was a planned revision to the financial fair play rules because apparently Man City just blew it, blew the arguments wide open in court. So they had to change the whole thing. So Jeez. yeah, there's Man City, man. So annoying. and they can't they can't they can't even fill their own stadium and they're doing this. Do you yeah, see how that that's so embarrassing? I did like if you recall, I uh you know I found a great thread from Bitter and Blue SB Nations um uh, Man City blog. You know, I listen to people call in. Uh, I do I'll say this: there's certain personalities I will listen to on talk sport, other ones I know it's just complete Yikes. nonsense. I Yikes. do not yeah, you know, I, I do, I'm judging I, you right now. I will confidently say I do tend to agree with a lot of what Simon Jordan says. I know he has a very rough, uh, well, depending on who you ask, you know, former owner of Crystal Palace, you know, he says uh, a lot of, it's not controversial. He's just very bold in what he says. And, you know, he's never going to shy away from backing down from his opinion. And it's all fact-based. And, you know, they had Man City fans calling in, I guess, you know, with COVID. uh, I don't know if things are like this for, you know, sporting events where you are in, but it's all digital uh contactless you know no cash we, we still we still don't have we don't have sporting events yet yeah oh, geez yeah i mean and that's the other thing too it's just like depending yeah, it's on where kind you of are, it's kind globe, of baffling yeah it's kind of baffling it might to be see different. the bundesliga guess, and european teams like actually having so many people in their stadiums because in i guess India, they had huge yeah. issues with the uh ticketing software and like midweek yeah. game it was near next to impossible to try and get rid of tickets transfer them Digitally, I think someone from Man City's, uh, yeah, I don't know, like ticketing services. I think you've gone off on a very big tangent because this was supposed to be our FFP. Well, because, yeah, because I would still be someone, you know, I absolutely hate Manchester City and the way they've circumvented rules, basically have bought away their problems. Well, the the problem I'm going to tell you right now, if you hate that, is that what UEFA is planning, what what, what UEFA is planning is going to make what Manchester City does legal. Completely 100% legal. They're going to be able to invest whatever they want. And they've also planning like a salary cap, a transfers and salary cap 
per year of 70% of revenue capped at around a total of 500 million. Now, I have no idea what the problem with that is I have no idea what universe UEFA are living in because that's not a cap, okay? That is not a limit that is reasonable. And because they have limited it to just being the squad in that is registered for the Champions League, you can have teams like Manchester City who are already stockpiling huge amounts of talent. They could have a completely separate squad for the Premier League register for the Premier League and then a different squad register for the Champions League and not go over the limit while still having a billion dollar squad. And the other problem that they're going to be introducing with this is that instead of having bans for the Champions League, which is the normal penalty for breaching FFP, they're right, going right. to be getting in a luxury tax. And I guess fans of American leagues will be familiar with this. I'm not familiar with it at all. But the luxury tax is basically a fine where... The money is taken from teams that go over the limit and then you redistribute it to teams who are around the members or so. But one thing I don't understand, first of all, how the redistribution works, is it just going to line the pockets of UEFA? That's not going to be, that's going to be completely pointless. And the other thing that, um, how exactly are you going to deter these teams who are already spending as much as they want by a fine? They can just pay the fine and then just keep going. Because look, you can take as much money as you want from them, but if they want to sign Messi, there's only one Messi. And once you have him, you have a competitive advantage, no matter how much money is redistributed to your opponents. Correct me if I'm wrong, isn't there two separate times that you can also submit UEFA squads as well? Yeah, there is the one, uh, one before the group stage the and one before knockouts. the knockouts. Yeah, so I'm sure, you know, if there's players with nagging injuries from those big clubs, they'll yeah. use that to circumvent. They already players. do I think that. that happened in the nhl uh they, they, uh it's interesting well. interesting uh you can say that barcelona already did that with sergio aguero they found out that he had an injury and just decided not to register him for the first half of la liga yeah but they can gladly use him in the in the knockout stages if they even make it that far they can use him whenever they want uh they, they'll make it i think uh, on at risk of going off on another tangent the problem with this financial fair play rules and they suck okay is that these teams like PSG, Chelsea, City, they're going to have a massive, massive advantage over any team that tries to be self-sufficient. Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, Barcelona, any team. Like, I understand that those teams are very rich, but they work on some kind of reality, some kind of financial some kind of financial base to start with. And these teams don't have that. They don't need that anymore. And now they can do whatever they want. They can buy... Chelsea can go out and buy Haaland tomorrow. They can go out and buy, I don't know, they can submit a, a 200 million bid for Lewandowski and then have Lewandowski for their Champions League games and Haaland for their Premier League games while Lukaku plays for their cup games or something. It's insane. They could just do that. And the thing is that it gives Bundesliga clubs the biggest disadvantage of all because we don't have any investors mostly other than RB Leipzig who might welcome the change. I don't think any of the Bundesliga clubs will like this. And that's why the Bundesliga is actually hugely against UEFA's new proposed changes. They want the financial fair play changes to be much, much, much stricter. It will be interesting, too, how those affect the conversation for 50 plus one. You know, you get oftentimes people coming out in support of uh, abolishing the 50 plus one rule. And, you know, <clears throat> it can't happen, though. The other, yeah. other side of the argument saying 50 plus one must stay for continuity and to make sure that that sort of thing doesn't happen in Germany. And the sad thing about this is that the 15 plus one rule is quite beautiful for German football, but this now puts a competitive pressure on the clubs to abandon it. 
And that's really insidious in my opinion. Yeah. And I hope that the German clubs at the DFL and the, the DFB stand firm on this, you know, and continue to speak out against the FFP rules and, you know, explaining why it should never happen in Germany. And it's almost as if the powers that be that wanted to press for the Super League have just gone behind the curtains and kind of manipulated uh, FFP to, to move in this fashion because it basically is creating a figurative Super League where we're saying, okay, the teams that were going to be in it and these super teams across Europe are just going to benefit from being, you know, very, very wealthy and not having any consequences for the ways that they spend their money or where their money comes from. You're right. There's even human rights issues involved with where some of the funds come from, from, you know, certain places. But hopefully somehow, some way in the future, we can prevent this kind of thing from happening and making sure that the playing field is as level as it can be for everybody. I honestly, and, uh, you know, I think I've said all I wanted to. I could go on a one hour long rant, but we are closing on 40 minutes. And I think that's enough for today. That is that, folks. So thanks for listening. Very, very grateful to have you have you listening to the flagship episode once again. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe on Spotify, Apple Music, Apple Podcasts, whatever streaming platform you do use to listen to us. Be sure to follow myself at, at TommyAdams71, in at, at BFWN, I think is his handle. You can correct me yep. if I'm wrong in that. All right. So I got it right. I'm starting to memorize all of these. Uh, and of course, our main channel at the variant FB works always, you know, with the written accommodation piece for this podcast, leave us comments. Let us know how we did. Let us know what we can do to improve, uh, you know, comment on our voices, whatever it may be. But until next time, thanks again for listening. Auf Wiedersehen.